Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is on the development of the lipid nanoparticles that enabled the delivery of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. Originally presented at the 2021 POD Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference. For more information about the POD Conference, our editorial podcasts and webinars, please visit podconference.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, is that right, Meg? Okay, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> that was a very uh, interesting uh, introductory uh, video there. Um, and uh, I have to like thank, thank the organizers for the uh, opportunity to uh, to speak to you about uh, <clears throat> what's well, been a very long journey uh, that um, ended up uh, with um, enabling some aspects of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine, particularly the lipid nanoparticle uh part <clears throat> the nanoparticle system that uh, that enables uh the mrna to penetrate into target cells uh the um i just want to in indicate a couple of conflicts of interest i'm a founder of precision nanosystems acuitous therapeutics and most recently uh, nan nanovation therapeutics next slide please so just a word or two on gene therapy uh <clears throat> the um uh, Wikipedia gives a very def a very general definition of uh, gene therapy, uh, the therapeutic delivery of nucleic acid into a patient's cells as a drug to treat disease. Of course, delivery is a big part of that. Uh, we all, as we're all aware, unmodified uh, nucleic acids are rapidly degraded. Um, nucleic acid polymers they don't they don't pre preferentially associate with uh, target tissue, and they really can't penetrate into uh, target cells even if they get to target tissue. Next slide, please. Uh, <clears throat> so this is an area of huge interest. Uh, the um, as potentially most diseases, as we're all aware, can be treated using gene therapy approaches. This is reflected by um, 20, over 2,500 uh, gene therapy trials that have been conducted uh, since about 1990, uh, most of them using viral delivery systems. Um, this has resulted in six drugs that have been approved by the FDA. And most recently, uh, the uh, <clears throat> uh, three of those have, are, are, use lipid nanoparticle uh, systems, as is indicated at the bottom here on Patro, and then the two um, uh, mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. Next slide, please. So why are we finally making some progress? Um, as, uh, as, as, many, as many of us are aware, in terms of gene therapy, viral vectors have some difficulties. Um, this is some of them here. Uh, most of them are very well known to us. 
uh, limits the genetic capa capacity that can stimulate an immune response. There's a potential for uh, is there's limited genesis. Uh, there's uh, there's toxicity issues and cost, etc. Uh, so these issues uh, are being overcome using um, lipid nanoparticle delivery systems. And so what I'm going to cover in this talk is really how did this happen? Uh, what was the process that uh, that uh, we went through uh, to uh, develop some of these systems? Next slide, please. So <clears throat> this really is going to go back about 25 years. Um, Beginning in the mid-1990s uh, with attempts to package nucleic acid polymer polymers into lipid nanoparticles, uh, followed by <clears throat> work from about 2005 to 2012 uh, to develop an sRNA-based drug called Onpatro. And um, then in the uh, latter part, from about 2012 onwards, uh, developing mRNA-based lipid nanoparticles, so, uh, lipid nanoparticles containing messenger RNA, uh, which eventually ended up um, as, a, as the COVID-19 vaccine. Next slide, please. So this is what we started, we started to do in uh, 1995. Uh, so the objective here was, first of all, to package nucleic acid in a uh, in a lipid nanoparticle um, and have that survive in the circulation uh, so to get to the liver um, and uh, extravasate uh, in that uh, in that region get associate with hepatic cells and then uh, deliver the contents inside uh, those cells a pretty big challenge uh, obviously something that the body does not want to have happen uh, the, the immune system is uh, pretty good at avoiding genetic material to being delivered inside target cells. And so this was certainly ambitious uh, at the time. Next slide, please. Now, the first problem that we, <clears throat> that we had was a deficient encapsulation of a nucleic acid polymer in a nanoparticle uh, requires positively charged lipids, cationic lipids. And there's no cationic lipids in nature. They're really very toxic molecules. There's net neutral or negatively charged lipids. And so we had a problem right off the bat. I mean, how do we avoid the toxicity of the uh, cationic lipids, uh, but also get reasonable association or good encapsulation of the nucleic acid polymer in the lipid nanoparticle? As indicated in the next slide, we, we turned to uh, ionizable cationic lipids, which we, we had in the lab uh, that we developed for completely different purposes. Uh, very basic research purposes. But so these lipids have the property uh, that the pKa of around, say, six and a half. Uh, so if <clears throat> this means that it's uh, at lower pH, um, say pH four, uh, they're, 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 pos they're protonated and positively charged, uh, whereas at uh, neutral pH, uh, they're relatively uncharged. And what we found was that we could lo load nucleic acid polymers at the low pH, say pH 4, about the acidity of a lemon, and that the contents were retained um, <clears throat> when we raised the pH to physiological values. And they were much less toxic um, in, in vivo uh, than permanently positively charged lipids. Um, from a serendipity point of view, uh, they also turned out to have rather important properties for intercellular delivery, which I'll indicate. Next slide. Uh, so this was the first ionizable lipid, a very simple lipid, a tertiary, a tertiary amine, uh, can be protonated at the low pH, as I indicated, and deprotonated at the higher pH, uh, and is much less toxic, but a very a relatively simple molecule. Next slide, please. 
That's what, so from a formulation point of view, what we found was that we could uh, formulate nucleic acid polymers using a rapid mixing procedure where we had the, the uh, lipid dissolved in ethanol uh, and uh, the oligonucleotide in this case uh, dissolved in water at pH 4. And then mixing these, uh, these, two, these two solutions pretty rapidly. Uh, first, we can, from, a, from a conceptual point of view, you can see that the first thing to fall out of solution uh, be the oligonucleotide with the associated cationic lipid, positively charged lipid, ionized lipid, of course, being positively charged at this pH. Now, if you do this rapidly, if, if, you, do, if you do this slowly, of course, they're going to aggregate. You end up with big particles, which you don't want. If you do it very quickly, uh, then uh, lipids such as the PEG lipid, which is indicated by the white head group, as indicated on this slide, uh, will also will 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 fall out of the solution um, a, a little while later. Coat these uh, particles uh, with a uh, the PEG coating, and you end up with a stable system. And so these are limit size systems. They're the smallest size that's compatible uh, with the uh, molecular constituents. So they dialyze away the ethanol and um, raise the pH, and you have your finished system. Next slide, please. So they, they were a new class of, of uh, lipid nanoparticle with a hydrophobic core, um, really ideally suited to encapsulation of, uh, of nucleic acid polymers. There's no limit on the size of the, of the nucleic acid uh, that uh, one can encapsulate. Uh, encapsulation efficiencies, which approach 100%, they're stable, monodisperse, relatively non-toxic, and the whole process is scalable and reproducible. Uh, next slide, please. So we then start to ask the question, well, are these things useful for anything? <laughs> um, and the first, as I indicated, uh, the, the, the first application was for small interfering RNA, siRNA. And I'll go through the program now that was followed uh, during the period 2005 to 2012. Next slide, please. So our, our objective uh, from uh, 20, 2000, uh, during this period, the seven-year period, was to develop LMP systems uh, to silence genes in the liver. Of course, uh, many diseases can potentially be treated uh, by silencing or expressing or editing genes in the liver. Uh, just a few here, but there's really, uh, really many, many more. So it's a, as a target organ, it certainly is a, a very fertile organ in, sen in the sense of the, there's many, many diseases that one can approach. Um, <clears throat> next slide, please. So, this was about 2004, and uh, I met uh, Victor Kateliansky, who at that time was the VP of Research for Alnon and Pharmaceuticals based in Boston. And uh, the, uh, he, he, was, uh, he wanted to, to meet me because he said, well, we have a delivery problem. How do we get our sRNA into hepatocytes in vivo? They're a small company at that point uh, that had been founded uh, to use uh, RNAi as a, um, as a drug. And uh, so they had expertise in the, uh, a lot of expertise in the nucleic acid area, uh, but they were having some delivery issues. So the next slide, uh, we set up a, a three-way collaboration uh, to develop uh, these LMP systems to silence genes in the liver. Uh, this was with a company that I co-founded, uh, Inex, my own lab, and Alnylam. And uh, the next slide, this was a very successful collaboration. And we started with the question, uh, can these systems uh, containing uh, the ionizable lipids, such as uh, Dodapt, can they silence the um, uh, genes in, in hepatocytes? Uh, so relatively simple systems. The, the, um, 
but we we used in this approach a, a rational design approach um, that um, uh, <clears throat> where we where we, we took some results from very basic uh, properties of lipids, which it, with the very basic property being that if you have a positively charged lipid uh, in the presence of a negatively charged lipid, uh, it tends they they will they will adopt non-bilayer structures which are highly membrane disruptive. So just on the left-hand side of this slide, if you take an anionic lipid, and as I mentioned, there's a lot of anionic lipids in uh, in biological membranes. By themselves, they'll adopt a bilayer structure. We're just looking at the phosphorus NMR uh, phosphorus NMR. Uh, spectra here, which were diagnostic for the structure of these systems. And you add an anionic lipid and they'll flip over to this non-bilayer phase, uh, which uh, will not sustain a permeability barrier. So if we want to disrupt an endosomal membrane, this is a good way to do it. So you, uh, if you add the positively charged lipid to the negatively charged lipid, uh, there's a change in, you can say this is a change in shape, which is more compatible with these alternative phases. Next slide, please. And so this, the design approach here was to say, okay, we, we have to enable uh, the oligonucleotide uh, to um, escape from the endosome following uptake uh, into, the, uh, into a target cell. We want that to happen before it goes on to a lysosome. So there's going to be some favored pH, uh, some, some favored pK, where these ionized lipids uh, adopt the um, uh, the protonated charge form then combine with a, the negatively charged lipids uh, that are present in the endosome and uh, and engender escape. Now, I, I can't say that this is actually the mechanism by which the uh, the uh, these, these these systems work, but it's been a very very fertile approach uh, in terms of uh, in terms of improving the properties of these systems. Next slide, please. So we assess the potency of these LMP systems. Uh, using a factor seven model, so encapsulating uh, <clears throat> particles that encapsulate sRNA to silence factor seven, which of course is a clotting protein made in hepatocytes, and then we can act. <clears throat> we could assay following an IV injection. We could assay for factor seven in the blood some 24 hours later, and there's a reasonably high throughput model. We could go through uh, two or three formula two formulations anyway a week uh, using this approach. Next slide, please. So what we found was that the potency of these uh, of these systems in terms of gene silencing was extremely sensitive uh, to relatively minor changes uh, in the structure of the ionizable lipid that we employed. So we went through quite a number of cationic lipids, as indicated here. Progress, uh, and these are five representative uh, lipids, but so uh, there were many, many more. Uh, going from DODAP through to uh, through to the MC3, then MC3 DMA, which uh, ended up as being a part of the uh, of the drug uh, on Patro, as I'll indicate in a moment. Next slide, please. The uh, <clears throat> what we found it was that the the, the 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 variable here that was uh, very uh, the, the dependence on the potency uh, was the pKa of the ionizable lipid was uh, was a real determinator here. And on this graph, uh, you'll note that it's a uh, on the y-axis it's a log plot. And so the uh, by a deviation from uh, say an optimum pKa of about six point four by as little as a half a pH unit. Uh, could decrease the potency um, by a factor of 100. Here we're defining the potency as one over the effective dose, uh, where we get 50% gene silencing in the liver following an IV injection. Next slide, please. 
So this just indicates the same thing in, in graphical form. Over the seven-year period of this collaboration uh, with Al Nylon, we moved from a, uh, <clears throat> a 10 mg per kg dose down to a 5 microgram per kg dose that would get 50% gene silencing with no in increase, if anything, a decrease in, in toxicity. And so this is where we have the therapeutic index. We can give a thousand times higher dose than the effective dose uh, and still not see undue toxicity. So this was where we decided to move, or at least Al Nylon's clinicians uh, said, okay, well, let's move this into the clinic. Uh, next slide, please. And uh, the uh, the objective here, of course, or was that we could silence factor seven. Well, we can silence really any gene using a different siRNA. And what was chosen was to develop an LMP system to treat a disorder known as transthyretin-induced amyloidosis. Next slide, please. So hereditary amyloid transthyretin uh, amyloidosis uh, is a, a disorder uh, caused by uh, transthyretin, obviously enough. Uh, it's made in the liver. Um, there's, it's a big gene and there's a lot of mutations that can, that can cause uh, the, uh, the, the transthyretin to adopt a fibril or fibril structure, amyloid fibrils in the blood, uh, which deposit throughout the body, but they have particularly nasty ramifications for nervous tissue and cardiac tissue, uh, leading to death within five years of diagnosis. Next slide, please. So this is a wasting disease, as is indicated here, really quite a nasty, a devastating disease, uh, pretty obviously. Next slide, please. The, uh, the, the, the gene, gene therapy approaches for treating diseases uh, often or usually have very simple hypotheses, and this is just indicated here. Well, if transthyretin, if, if the, the mutation in transthyretin is causing the problem, that's just shut down production of transthyretin using uh, siRNA. So encapsulating siRNA to silence the transthyretin gene uh, could potentially uh, reduce, obviously would reduce uh, the formation of the amyloid fibrils and possibly lead to stabilization um, and possibly recovery. So a potentially simple solution to a really nasty uh, disease. Next slide, please. And so the clinical development program, which began in 2012, uh, was uh, first of all a, a, a trial in healthy volunteers uh, progressing through to a phase three trial uh, that were the results of which were announced in 2017. Next slide, please. So the, the healthy volunteer trial uh, is, uh, is indicated here and showed that a dose of 0.3 mg per kg or 0.15 mg per kg, anything above that, a pretty uh, vigorous, pretty significant uh, decrease in the, uh, in the circulating levels of transthyretin in these individuals uh, that, um, that uh, was maintained over a period of uh, three weeks or longer. So on the basis of this data, uh, the, uh, the a dose of 0.3 mg per kg of sRNA per, per, <clears throat> per kg body weight uh, was uh, chosen as the, um, as the protocol for uh, treating uh, patients with uh, suffering from transthyretin amyloidosis. Next slide, please. And so this was followed by a phase three study for in 225 individuals. Um, 148 of them uh, received patacerin, uh, received the drug, and 77 uh, received sterile saline. And so there was a, the, the uh, endpoints here uh, were um, uh, measuring the, the neural impairment score as the primary endpoint and the secondary endpoints 
uh, range from self-reported quality of life to weakness to ability to walk, uh, body mass index, etc. Next slide, please. So this was this the results of this trial were quite were quite spectacular uh, in as much as this is measuring the um, the neural impairment score uh, that uh, that um, the higher score is worse um, uh, the uh, and so as indicated for the placebo this the the the, uh, the cohort receiving uh, sterile saline uh, the um, <clears throat> they progressed over the eighteen month uh, course of the study. Uh, whereas uh, those individuals who were um, <clears throat> who were given the the sRNA um, containing drug uh, were, were, if anything, improving over the time period of this trial. So, quite, really, quite remarkable. What we're doing here is we're <clears throat> we're taking a hereditary disorder, and uh, and uh, if anything, improving the status of these of these individuals. So, next slide, please. This was, I think, the uh, the most successful um, clinical trial results that I've ever seen. Um, p values of uh, ten to the minus twenty four. There's absolutely no no doubt that this drug works, and um, this is from the the point of view of the primary endpoint. And similarly, uh, the other secondary endpoints, uh, one can see that uh, the um, <laughs> we're quite definite in terms of the benefits of this uh, of this medicine. So panacerin is really a stabilizing, and we can say possibly curative therapy for what uh, was a, a, a previously fatal disorder. Next slide, please. So this was approved by the uh, by the FDA in uh, in in 2018, first FDA approval of an sRNA or an RNAi based uh, gene therapy drug, and so we would suggest this is a pretty big deal, uh, being able. Uh, to uh, halt the progression of hereditary disease, if anything, reversing that, and dramatically demonstrates the power of gene therapies in general. Uh, next slide, please. So I'll just close now uh, discussing the application of this approach to um, to vaccines or to messenger RNA uh, just in the last few minutes. Uh, next slide, please. So we asked the question. This is a this is a company that I co-founded called Acuitas. Uh, does the uh, the lipid nanoparticle technology that we developed for sRNA with molecular weight of say 13 kilodaltons uh, can that be extended to uh, to messenger RNA with hundreds of kilodaltons uh, in so much bigger, of course, uh, cargo? And so, but a very similar process. We uh, we said, okay, well, if we can silence a gene in the liver, uh, perhaps we can express a gene in the liver uh, if we use uh, mRNA and in, in, to substitute uh, from uh, the um, for, for sRNA. So this was a uh, was really a. Uh, uh, a fairly ambitious, a fairly ambitious objective. Uh, so, but next slide, please. Um, we started off uh, with just the encapsulation process. Does this does this uh, ethanol dilution and rapid mixing process allow efficient encapsulation of mRNA? And are they effective uh, for if we go an IV injection via an IV route? Uh, will we see uh, genes? Uh, will we see gene expression in the liver? Uh, I drew this slide to try and contrast the size of, say, sRNA versus mRNA, say, luciferase mRNA, messenger RNA, 
Um, I couldn't actually do that if I if it was if it was to scale. Uh, the sRNA would be a, a microscopic dot that you couldn't see, but a much larger cargo. Next slide, please. And so, uh, yes, the uh, process, the uh, the formulation process is robust. Um, as I mentioned it uh, a few slides ago, uh, we found we can encapsulate pretty much anything up to twenty uh, <clears throat> up to. Uh, a 20 kilobase um, size uh, RNA or DNA, and the resulting particles are shown by CrowdTEM in the uh, lower part on the right-hand side here. The bar is 100 nanometers. They look very similar uh, to the uh, to the sRNA systems. Next slide, please. And then, if we inject these intravenously um, into a mouse into into, into a mouse model, this is indicated here. This is for MC3. Uh, we're seeing gene expression in the liver for the cyphrase. Next, this is a dose-dependent uh, process. Next slide, please. And the uh, what we found was that we could, this is on the far left here is the MC3 uh, lipid nanoparticle system. Uh, we could improve that further by adjusting the ionizable lipid as well as other characteristics. This is work done by Acuitas um, to give us very large improvements in the amount of gene expression in the, um, in the liver. Next slide, please. So uh, we were focused at this point on expression in the liver, and this is just indicating um, expression of IgG, monoclonal antibody, uh, by the liver when you have mRNA coding for the heavy and light chains of the uh, of, of, of this molecule. So obviously a huge number of applications possible here, uh, but I'm not going to go in that direction. The next slide, please. Because we were approached by Drew Weissman of the University of Pennsylvania, who um, he is a delivery system for uh, mRNA vaccines, and he, Drew, of course, has been working with uh, Catalin Rico for a number of years uh, to optimize uh, messenger RNA for vaccine applications. And so Drew said, well, we have a delivery problem. How can we get, uh, this is similar to Victor Teliansky um, a few years previous to this, how can we get mRNA coding for uh, viral proteins into muscle and immune cells in order to get a good, uh, are these things going to be effective as vaccines? Next slide, please. And so <clears throat> uh, Drew needed this system. This is just indicated, indicating here to transfect uh, their muscle cells or and, uh, and antigen presenting cells following an intramuscular injection uh, with a uh, mRNA uh, coding for, say, a, a, a protein associated with a viral vector with the intent of raising a uh, vigorous immune response by MHC1, MHC2 class um, responses, as is uh, summarized here. Next slide, please. This turned out to be spectacularly successful. Um, what so Drew started off with was a Zika virus vaccine uh, where we had messenger RNA coding for uh, Zika virus pre-membrane and envelope glycoprotein uh, packaged into uh, the, um, the lipid nanoparticle. Um, as indicated on the next slide, uh, the uh, <clears throat> what was found here was that if we then injected, or if if the, if if that was injected intradermally into these uh, into into a mouse model, uh, the uh, and then subsequently the, the mouse was challenged at two weeks or twenty weeks with the Zika virus itself, there was total protection um, <clears throat> against a viral infection. These are indicated on the next slide. 
And uh, it's just showing that uh, there was, if you had luciferase as the mRNA, then the mice became infected with the uh, Zika virus, but with the, um, the mRNA coding for the membrane protein associated with the virus, uh, then there was total protection. So this led, next slide, uh, to uh, work with CureVac. Uh, this is a rabies vaccine. Which, uh, results were announced in January of 2020. It also works, it also led, as the next slide, um, to a uh, to work uh, that um, uh, was triggered was triggered by this an association with um, with a uh, <clears throat> between Acuitas and uh, BioNTech. And uh, the, um, at that point, Acuitas was working with BioNTech on a flu vaccine. BioNTech was working with Pfizer on an influenza vaccine. Uh, and of course, everything switched to this point uh, in, in January of 2020, January and February, to um, developing a vaccine for, the pand for COVID-19. And so this was the, the, the start of a very vigorous um, effort. <laughs> vigorous is putting it mildly. Uh, next slide, please. It ended up uh, in a trial of 44,000 people, uh, the results of which were announced in um, November of 2020, uh, to fi <clears throat> and finding that the, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine uh, was 95% effective across various age and gender uh, groups, and of course is now playing a, um, a major role in ending the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm going to cut through the next couple of slides. Next slide, please. Uh, there's many other applications. Uh, universal flu vaccine, but I'm not going to, just in the interest of time, I'll uh, jump through the next slide. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and just to indicate that vaccine applications are really uh, the, um, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, this, this technology is really enabling a multitude of gene therapies in addition to vaccines, uh, treatments for cancer, uh, rare diseases, et cetera, are now totally on the, on, on the, on uh, a lot of people's agendas. Uh, next slide, please. And these medicines can be developed, as we're all aware, really very rapidly. So it's causing a bit of a revolution uh, in, uh, in the, uh, uh, ability to generate me medicines uh, that are highly personalized uh, in uh, in a matter of uh, uh, in a matter of weeks, and I think this is having huge a huge impact on the um, pharmaceutical industry in general. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so that's the journey uh, that we've been through over the last twenty five years, and as one can see, uh, this has not been a linear path. Uh, the the uh, but it has. We are starting now to have to develop to uh, to, to um, enable system, systems that enable delivery of large molecules inside cells, and this has really, I think, expanding very, very dramatically the range of disorders that we can treat in a sensible way. I'm going to close now, just on the next slide, uh, with uh, some acknowledgments, particularly to Mick Hope and Tom Madden, uh, who I've worked with for 40 years, as well as the group at El Nylum. Uh, that uh, was a very, as I indicated, a very significant uh, uh, collaboration between 2005 and 2012. And of course, Drew Weissman at the University of Pennsylvania. So with that, I think I've left a couple of minutes for, for questions. And um, I will uh, then, uh, so I'll, I'll close here and uh, take any questions people may have. 
Well, thank you very much, Dr. Cullis. I think I speak for many of the participants and uh, just congratulating you on the fantastic work and also on the really clear presentation that helped summarize a challenging and technically um, difficult space into something that's very easy for all of us to follow and understand. So thank you very much. We did have a few questions come in. Uh, we're, we've got just a minute or two for questions, but uh, first was from Sonia Puri who uh, highlighted, and you talked a little bit about this, the difference between lipid nanoparticles designed for mRNA versus siRNA. And she was just asking uh, whether you could highlight any key differences between those, uh, uh, particularly in how they influence product stability and storage conditions. Sure, uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, with the, uh, of course, the, the uh, sRNA is a much smaller molecule. And so with the, um, with the sRNA containing lipid nanoparticles, uh, we have maybe it's up to a thousand copies of sRNA per per lipid nanoparticle. Of course, when we get into a system that has uh, for mRNA, which uh, you know might be a, a, you know two thousand bases, et cetera, then you may only have two or three copies of the mRNA per lipid nanoparticle. And uh, the um, if any one of those is uh, degraded, nicked, or what <coughs> is uh, is uh, then then of course your, the potency of your uh, of your lipid nanoparticle goes down by say thirty percent or fifty percent depending on the number. And so, whereas of course if you just lost a couple of the oligos uh, of sRNA, then your potency is not affected. And so stability for the the systems that contain the larger uh, the larger um, mRNA uh, is going to be an issue. Uh, it's not something that we can't beat, I don't think, but this is a um, the, the inherently because of their larger cargo and that larger cargo, if it's nicked in any way, then you're going to have a problem. Uh, there's going to be uh, significantly more difficult than SRNA. Thank you very much. Just one, one other quick one from uh, Manuel Sanchez Felix. Uh, of course, he was thanking you for uh, such an important contribution to the drug delivery space and also asked if you see any limitations around LNP formulations particularly when you think about, you know, what we see with antibody drug, um, antibody, anti, sorry, anti-drug, antibody formation for things <laughs> like uh, MABs and, uh, and repeat dosing, you know, should we expect similar challenges for repeat dosing in this space? Uh, it's, a, again, a good question. The, um, obviously, people that are suffering from uh, transthyretin-induced amyloidosis uh, I've now been treated for periods, I guess it's since about 20, 2012, 2013, uh, with a, <clears throat> every three weeks with, uh, with doses of lipid nanoparticles containing sRNA, uh, with no apparent uh, reduction in the potency of these systems. Uh, so that would argue that uh, from an immune response point of view, they're still uh, very, uh, very viable. Um, and we're seeing similar, similar, uh, but that's preliminary data for mRNA as well. So we're optimistic uh, that uh, the uh, those sorts of issues won't be a major factor. Uh, but uh, biology is always always can surprise you. So I'm not going to guarantee that. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you very much again, Dr. Cullis. Uh, last night we had some comments about you know whether or not the industry should be taking a victory lap for the amazing progress that you know happened against COVID nineteen, and I'd say that your work was underpinning a lot of that victory. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your work. Okay, well, thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Pod Conference, our editorial podcasts and webinars, please visit podconference.com. That's P-O-D-D -D conference.com.